Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. A return to domestic action for Manchester City sees a return to the relentless run of tricky games. Chelsea and Arsenal were done recently. It's Liverpool, Leipzig and Spurs on the horizon. And we'll be looking ahead to the first two of those on today's Blue Moon podcast. It's six in a row unbeaten for Guardiola at home against Klopp. And City's unbeaten run against Liverpool at the Etihad stretches back to April 2018. So will Fortress Etihad continue to be a thing or will it suffer the curse of the Saturday 12.30 kickoff? You thought Jurgen Klopp might have been a bit pleased to see City have got that slot after the international break but no dice apparently no pleasing some people that's all ahead of Tuesday's Champions League visit from RB Leipzig 2 City are already through in the group but they can secure top spot with a point so it's not quite a dead rubber but it's not far off we'll come to that game in due course we'll also hear from our EDS expert Sean Blinkhorn later in the show he's got some rather interesting developments about the playing style of one young goalkeeper at the club that you'll want to stick around for too I'm David Mooney with me for today's show is the Manchester Evening News Chief City writer Simon Bykowski Hello. I'm presenter for 442, Adam Monk. Hello. Hello. Um, so I think uh, it's it, it's an interesting week to uh, to kind of come back into everything. Simon, uh, first time on the podcast for you this season, I think, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Well, you are forgetting a, a very memorable yeah. performance that I did another time it, this season it was that with I me. can't remember. Have we had this partnership already this we, season? We have, yeah. The, the dynamic the, duo. Yeah, the dream team. Oh, well, I apologise to both of you for uh, <laughs> for erasing that one from my memory banks, but, uh, but there we go. So not the first time for either of you this season. Um, let's crack on then and talk about Liverpool. For the 2023-24 season, the Blue Moon podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised City fixture over the course of the season, so that includes this week's game with Liverpool and Leipzig as well. So if you're not going to either of them, instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local called Green King Pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King has launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, which will be a home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, so you don't want to miss out. Drop them a follow on Instagram and you won't just be the first to know about all of this. You'll be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. Um, Simon, then, uh, before we actually get into the Liverpool chats, um, just want to have a quick word about Rico Lewis's week because uh, it's been quite a big week for him. Uh, he might or might not be involved this weekend uh, but he was heavily involved for England and uh, one player of the match as well yes and if you wanted to make a nice segue you could uh, say that you know it, it all started for him with a very good performance against Liverpool in the EFL Cup last year I, I could have said that but I didn't notice it so uh, there we go yes <laughs> yeah yeah um, no it's been look he's a phenomenal talent and you know it's been particularly nice from City's point of view, that obviously the week of Chelsea was spent with a lot of talk around Cole Palmer, and he then you know scores the the last gas penalty to um, equalise for for them and earns that England call up, and that is sort of you know he is he has left City and that has benefited him to the tune of an England call up, 
Um, but then it's kind of, you know, you've also got Rico Lewis who has stayed at City and come through at City and has benefited with an England call-up. So, you know, Lewis will have played the first of, of many appearances for for the England team. I think we all expected it. Um, I think there was, well, I think we all expected it to come soon. I, I, I kind of expected it this season. I'm not sure I expected it in November. Yeah. Um, but uh, I really deserved call up you know I sort of said for a while that he's being preferred to Calvin Phillips for City so it it was kind of only a matter of time I know Southgate has his trusted players but if he sees every week Lewis is better than Phillips then it's kind of hard to um to justify Phillips over Lewis but he's found a way to get both of them in so um that's that's on him but I I think Lewis will stick around for a long long time yeah, Adam for Lewis. Um, I mean, obviously, like we say, may or may not be involved against Liverpool, um, but it, it's quite a credit to him, that given his age, that Guardiola talks about how last season wouldn't have been possible without Lewis and without kind of the the development that that uh, City did with moving stones into the middle all came from what Rico Lewis was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a blessing in disguise, really. Again, you could go back to Cancelo leaving, perhaps force the hand of that decision as well. Um, but yeah, he's so... What struck me, I think he was 17 last season, wasn't he? And he was eight, he's 18 now. It's very, very rare. I don't even think we saw it in Phil Foden, really. Obviously, Phil fits like a glove and always had, but he wasn't a first-team regular at 17, 18. And Lewis mm. came in and it, it from day dot, it was seamless. And I think, you know, okay, he's had his maybe slight def- defensive frailties because of his age and his size, but moving him into the middle, he's just so comfortable. He's one step ahead of the opposition. I think his best game in a City shirt was actually in midfield, I'd say, at Leipzig away this season. Um, so he's really coming into his own at an age where he shouldn't be. Um, and we've seen Pep sing players' praises in similar positions before. I remember Joshua Kimmich at Bayern. I don't know how old he was when Pep had him at Bayern Munich, but he was definitely like young 20s um, at, at most. So for the age Lewis is at and the level he's playing at, it it like like Simon said, it bodes well for the next decade and more, I think. Yeah. Um let's get to the Etihad as well, Simon, because I called it Fortress Etihad in the intro. Um has it quietly sort of become that, do you think? Or do these like every now and then Crystal Palace turn up and win or Brentford turn up and win? So does that stop it being Fortress Etihad? Well, I mean, nobody's stopped City from winning there this year. Um, this so it's, is just, a, it's just turned 12 months, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but in, I mean, in terms of the calendar um, as well, there are, if they win against Liverpool, that will be a, a joint record with the Sunderland team of 1892, which, you know, you all know how how much we go on about the Sunderland team of 1892. <laughs> so what an achievement that is. But, you know, it, 23 wins in a row this calendar year is amazing. And, I felt last towards the back end of last season, the business end. Um, well, I mean, all the last season, all the last season had like the Haaland feel. It felt like as soon as Haaland arrived, the whole stadium went up a notch. But especially the games against Bayern Munich, Arsenal, and Real Madrid in kind of spring, early summer, they were that they, they were really it was not a nice atmosphere for away teams. It was mm. intimidating, and you know that. I can't remember the Etihad being like that. Some of that has been lost this season because, you know, we're only a month into the season. We're not playing for anything important. But I, I think it is a lot tougher for, for teams to come here than it, it was. 
Yeah. Um, Federico Valverde called it the hardest stadium to go to. Um, and I'm wondering, Adam, if that, like, if, if it plays into the fact that um, they were night games, the, you know, the, 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 it's not even the Champions League factor, just the fact that it is a night game. The crowd is, you know, the, most of the crowds had a long day at work. They come to the Etihad and decide that they're going to, you know, really make it noisy and get behind the team. Uh, do, do you lose that a little bit for the early kickoff? Uh, yeah, I feel like I've had this discussion before about early kickoffs, but from a player perspective, like the fact that they're forcing pasta down them and stuff, I guess it's kind of similar. You're forcing pints down yourself at 10 a.m. just to get a bit of, <laughs> get a bit of a stir up some some emotion. But yeah, uh, I think night games, yeah, they have to play into it, don't they? It, just even the floodlights and stuff, it sounds quite silly, but it creates an atmosphere in of itself. And I think, you know, night games, they tend to be more frequent at the end of the season because... The, the stakes Cram, are them all in, yeah, yeah, cram, yeah, cram, cram them all in, and also it's it's usually the Champions League as well, so it is quite unique in that sense. Um, but I mean, am, am I right in thinking Liverpool at home last season was an early kickoff? It certainly it was, felt yeah. like one, yeah. Uh, and the atmosphere was pretty. That was when things were starting to pick up, and I think that was just because of the the time in the year that we were at, and we sort of had to go on a bit of a winning run to catch Arsenal. So it's all context dependent. I think the atmosphere will always be good against Liverpool because of. The, the rich rivalry between Klopp and Pep and the two clubs over the last five, six years. So I think the atmosphere will make itself on the weekend. I really do. But yeah, there is an added, there is definitely an added element when when the floodlights are on and it's it's towards the end of the season. Yeah, get that sunblocker out and get the floodlights on for yeah. Saturday lunchtime is what I say. <laughs> um, Simon, home advantage has been big in games with Liverpool. Uh, we know that uh, City's record at Anfield is, I, I mean, being brutally honest, absolutely woeful. Um, Liverpool's record at the Etihad isn't brilliant either. They've had a couple of draws, but uh, they haven't beaten City since uh, the Champions League game in April 2018. Uh, is it too easy to just kind of rest on that fact because of these sorts of games? Oh, well, it, it always goes the home team's way. It never works like that. It's never never as simple as that. City still have to go out there and win the game. But is it is it a silly thing to say that's actually given me a bit of comfort ahead of this match? No, not at all. I think it is an advantage. Um, you know, Liverpool's record, certainly in the, the, uh, the Guardiola era, is pretty abysmal at the Etihad. Um, you know, was it 5-0 in 2017, the yep. Centurion yep. season? That was um, the other early kickoff. They've played they've played Liverpool at home in the early kickoff twice under between Klopp and Guardiola and City have won them 5-0 and 4-1. Yeah, I mean the it, they so I think the only time they've won is the Champions League game, right, which was hugely mitigating circumstances of an atrocious game-changing decision. So mm. um yeah, City City have had Liverpool's number at the Etihad as much as Liverpool have had theirs at Anfield. So just as City don't particularly enjoy going to Anfield, I, I can't imagine Liverpool particularly enjoy coming coming to City when every time they come, they either sort of escape with a draw or, um, or a well-beaten. I can't remember uh, a performance since Klopp was here where they've, they've outplayed City here. So, you know, they, they, they won't be looking forward to it. Yeah. And what about fans, Adam? Because um, games against Liverpool have always been, um, or certainly in, in the last few years when the two teams have been going head to head for titles, that they've been, they, they felt quite tetchy and quite fraught from a fan's point of view. How do you feel about, about this game, given, again, that it's the early kickoff and, you know, everything that's gone before it? That probably is why it's the early kickoff, I'd imagine, uh, to sort of deal with anything that could potentially happen. We see, obviously, the sets of fans have got a little bit of history. Um, I remember the bus being bottled a few years back at Anfield, um, things like that. 
But that's part and parcel of supporting the two best teams in the country, which I still think Liverpool are ahead of Arsenal. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, I don't think much changes. I think things have perhaps died down a little bit in the last two years since Liverpool's threat on the titles waned slightly in this transitional period they're in. Um, but yeah, like, that's it really. I don't, I don't, I don't think... Are you worried about them this season? Uh, yeah, I think they're... the. The thing is, I, th- I think this season in general, I think we will pull clear, similar to how we did last year, just because I don't think any team's quite there yet. I think all Liverpool are missing is a six. Uh, however, having said that, I think this is the most firepower and the most goal-scoring prowess they've had since about 2019 uh, by a considerable distance. I think Nunes is coming into his own. I'm worried about him uh, on the weekend, if if I'm being honest. Come, I think he scored two goals in the international break. So... Yeah, I think they're a, they're a more dangerous proposition than they were last season, for sure. Yeah. And Simon, for as much as uh, Klopp has talked about uh, Liverpool consistently having the early kickoff after the international break and um, getting that in there, it doesn't seem to affect City in any way, shape or form. I had uh, Adam Stat City run the numbers. Um, City's record under Guardiola in the early kickoff uh, is pretty much the same as, as their record in every other kickoff. It's about 75% <laughs> games won. That is is very Guardiola, that. Yeah, played 33, won 25, drawn four, lost four. Um, So from a a City point of view, if if nothing else, uh, not a lot to be worried about playing the early game. Um, I'm wondering from a Liverpool point of view, if kind of Klopp gets in his own head a little bit about this? Yeah, there is certainly, I I think it might have been Solskjaer a few years ago who chose kind of like post-match of the 12.30 to really rant about it um, because he hadn't kind of wanted to put that in his players' heads before it whereas Klopp very much kind of is the the opposite way and you know it, it can have can have an impact I mean they will use it to try and motivate themselves um and yeah I, I think the the 1230 will it the 12 will help city the fact that it's Liverpool because I think often with the 1230 if it was like I think Fulham at home or something like that um there might be a a tendency for the crowd to be a bit sleepy early on and that often translate to the to the players whereas yeah. bit of with complacency it being, sort of thing as well. Yeah, with it being Liverpool, there's sort of extra for the the players and the fans to be up for it from the the first minute. Yeah. Um let's talk about a few uh, individual players um because injuries could be uh, a little bit of a problem for City. Um Simon first off, uh, I read your piece this week about uh, uh Rodri um basically having played for Spain and Haaland could be could be available. Um are there any major injury fears beyond Stones and Cabr- and uh, De Bruyne at the moment? Um, I think our our friend Sam Lee reported uh, Kovacic was out for a few weeks. Um, I'd expect Stones and De Bruyne are still to be out. Um, I I think the the, the thing is that City you'd want Stones and De Bruyne fit, but other than that, the injuries are not players that you would expect to be starting against Liverpool. So while it is um, a, a concern for squad depth, if you know the likes of Kovacic and Nunes um, and Ake even are, are injured, like City should be absolutely fine without them against Liverpool, mm. um, and then they just kind of take it from take it from there. Uh, you know, I had a text from a Norwegian colleague asking if uh, if Liverpool could be a game for Oscar Bob to start, and you sort of say, well. Haaland's probably fit, Alvarez is fit, Foden's fit, Grealish is fit, Doku's fit. 
probably not a chance for Oscar <laughs> it, Bob it, it to It would start. be a shock, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they seem to have they seem to accumulate sort of fifty nine injuries in in three days last week. But when you sort of look at the situation, especially with Rodri playing for Spain, um, it it seems like they should be able to get away with it against Liverpool. Yeah, Adam, I just don't want to envisage a world where Rodri is not in the team this weekend. <laughs> yeah, or for the next five years. Yeah, to be honest, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, he he has to play. He will play uh, if he's fit. He plays. Uh, but I'm to be fair, my concern going into this game, I don't know if you were going to ask another question about this further on in the podcast, but it's not so much about the squad depth or the injuries because I think on paper we've got enough against them because of Rodri. Um, but it's, it's actually the Chelsea game and I'm disappointed that I was ill last week and couldn't come on the show because it was, I don't know, I'm, slight, I, I'm slightly concerned by what I saw in the Chelsea game mm. uh, because it was the most, you could say it was anomalous, but I've never, or not for at least three years it feels like, I've not seen City seemingly willingly sacrifice control in the way that they did in a game like that and they completely got swept up in the occasion. I thought we'd be comfortable against Chelsea. Um, before the game started but we really got swept up in the occasion and it was just like a basketball match and if there's one team who would want that sort of game going to the Etihad it's Liverpool uh, and we, we we saw something I guess fairly similar in the 21-22 season that two-all game that was really back and forth any team could have won that we've seen it before and I just I think I don't know I've just watched that Chelsea game and I don't think it bodes well I think we're gonna to have to change quite a lot from that game do you feel nervous um, because of that uh, yeah, because I think Liverpool can create more chances than Chelsea can. I think Chelsea are on the up, but they're a team, they're in a very embryonic stage. They're very young, got a lot of sort of raw talents, whereas Liverpool, you know, they've got the likes of Salah in there, who's just the finished article at the peak of his powers. Yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> Truth be told. It's a really interesting point from Adam, because it's kind of easy to to say, um, and I have said, you know, well, when was the last time you saw Diaz play that bad? When was the last time you saw Rodri play that bad? Et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, if it's the result of the setup being wrong or the setup not being sort of suited for City, then there's every chance you'll see it again rather than it just yeah. being a, a day well, off. I think it was mainly down to the fact that Stones wasn't available. Yeah. Because we couldn't really, we, we just got overloaded in the middle because of the legs that they had with Gallagher and Enzo and whatnot. Uh, the, 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 I guess the positive is Liverpool don't really have a assured six at the moment, so we might be all right. But that's yeah, that's just what I think. Yeah, um, I mean, well, I was just going to ask Simon about kind of like the feel of City in that game because it, it felt like like the lineup and the the selection was just as normal. But then, as Adam says, the the way the game went and the control in the game just wasn't there. And like, how well placed do you think City are this season to be able to cope with teams going? Actually, no, we're just going to make this mayhem for a bit. Yeah, it was it was a weird one because I think when you cover City like every week, home and away, you can get sucked into it a bit too much, and it's always interesting going kind of down to London where there's like a different set of reporters and uh, things like that, just to sort of get a bit of a different viewpoint. And um, I mean, the the big thing for City seems to be it just revolves around: do you want Doku or Grealish? Do you want the chaos or the control? And it it felt against. Chelsea that City were missing that control of Grealish being able to put his foot on the ball because Bernardo Silva was sort of streets ahead of everyone else and whenever he got it you felt City were calm but there were two other 
too few others doing that. Um, but then, you know, the feeling afterwards in the press conference was one of sort of, well, City can be got at if um, if teams have a go at them. And, I mean, I, I can't say I've seen that that much this season. You know, Arsenal barely had a go at them. Mm. But if there's one team in the league that has the capabilities to have a go at them, like Adam's been saying, it is Liverpool. So um, they may, Liverpool may even look at it and go, it's in our best interest to have a go because I, I'm not convinced defensively they're as strong as they used to be. No, and, and it's a real sort of teaser for for Pep because with sort of their situation with Alexander-Arnold, um, the temptation would be to say, well, let's stick this assist machine, Jeremy Doku, on the pitch again and let him run riot. Um, but at the same time, if you after a bit more control that you didn't get um, against Chelsea, then maybe Grealish is is the right man. But it's that it, it's a toss up. But it, it, it's been a while since there've been two sort of very very good options, but just different styles. The only choice is style, um, and it, and that may change through the season. But I feel like that is the sort of where it might be won or lost this this weekend. Well, here's here's a teaser for you then. Um, assuming everybody's fit and available, and we'll hear from Guardiola on Friday about that, could you have both Doku and Grealish at the expense, and maybe have Foden in the centre and at the, at, the, at the expense of Alvarez, maybe? Yeah. I mean, Alvarez is um, he's a, a fitness freak, but he still has to make it all the way from South America for a 12.30. So we sort of assume he will be fit, but he might not be uh, in the best best condition. Um, but if not, that, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it would be hard to leave Alvarez out based on sort of his work this season. Yeah, and we know Foden loves a goal against Liverpool, so uh, it's not one that you'd want to take out of the team this weekend. Um, Adam, the other the other kind of headline from um, the Chelsea game was that Edison was uh, a little bit of a knock. He, he picked up a knock in the second half, and uh, he pulled out of the Brazil squad, if I'm uh, not mistaken. So, you're expecting to see him back, or would you feel? Would you? I mean, Ortega's a, a, a decent deputy. Would you feel all right with him in the goal? Uh, yeah, I think Edison will start most likely, but I don't think Pep's ever afraid to put Ortega in. You know, you look at even I have to look at last season. He started the FA Cup final when we were going for a treble against United, so he clearly trusts him. Um, and I actually, weirdly, I think Ortega could work against Liverpool if we, but only if we play Doku because. I think we've seen it in certain games. I can't... Actually, it might have been against Liverpool last season in the Cup where we played Ortega and we were playing long balls to Haaland and winning knockdowns and it really, really worked against them. If we went for something like that, I think I think Trent gets a bad rap for being a bad right-back. I think he's a good one-on-one defender, but he does leave a lot of space unoccupied. And I think if we can find Doku in transition, perhaps using Ortega's long kicking ability and Haaland's knockdowns, then it could... That could actually work well and work in our favour if should Doku start. Um, but you would, I just think for the sake of me just being used to and accustomed to Edison now, I would want Edison in the sticks. Yeah. yeah. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. 
At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Well, let's get some thoughts from the opposition. I've been speaking to John Gibbons from the Anfield Wrap to find out more about how their season has started. I think supporters are enjoying it. It's a it's a new team, um, but that's exciting in itself when you've got a, a new gang of lads to watch. And obviously when they hit the ground running and the new signings, by and large, do, do really well, then that's exciting too. And so last year was was a bit of a tough one from from a Liverpool point of view. There was the hangover sort of on and off the pitch from the previous season and everything that had happened and you know, ultimately falling short on, on the on the big two and then everything that happened before and after in Paris to supporters. It just felt like last year never really got going and until it was a little bit too late really and listen we ended up finishing fifth which a lot of clubs have bite your hand off but I was still quite not sure how to be honest with you because a lot of the football was was very poor so so it felt like after a bit of a rest in the summer and, and a rejig around the squad it, it all feels fresh and, and exciting and again I think the manager is newly galvanized as well and he is the sort of leader of the football club in in every way, really, and a lot of us sort of take our you know cue cue from him, really. And so when he bounced back into the season, and and fans weren't far behind him, really. So it's been good. It's been fun. We still haven't quite figured out how good we are yet, and obviously Saturday will be a big test of that. But it's fun and it's exciting and the players have got loads of energy and the fans have got quite a lot and it feels like anything's possible and that's all you can really ask for in November. Yeah, it's it's interesting that um, the, the kind of the way it's gone in, in recent years, because you look at, at um, kind of rebuilds that managers have had to do, and there's not many in the Premier League who actually go and successfully rebuild a side. And yet this Liverpool side feels very new. It feels like, like, like there's a lot of new mo- moving parts to it. Um, uh, kind of where do you see this going? Where, like, like, has the style changed particularly much under, under, under Klopp this season? It's a bit back to the old way, if you like. He... he- he tried to change it and there was a change, you know, fundamentally when Thiago comes in, it's a bit of a sea change in terms of the, the midfield before that was very machine-like and, and big lads who could run a lot and press a lot, but weren't necessarily, you know, the most technically gifted players or, or certainly not the most eye-catching, you know, um, in terms of, you know, how, how they how they played and they were there to facilitate you know the the fullbacks and and the incredible forwards that that we had, and then with Thiago and the emergence of Harvey Elliott last year, he was tried to sort of change it a little bit. Also, some of the the players that we were getting in, and also ones the ones that we were sort of linked with were were quite, you know, uh, felt like a bit of a departure. But then I think at some point last year, he he decided that we'd gone f- too far away from what made us good by. And what made us so great in terms of the evolution of the team, and so 
you know, ironically, this sort of Liverpool 2.0 is actually closer to what we were doing three, four years ago than than what we were trying to and fa- ultimately failing to do last year. Obviously, the slight difference is, the, is what we're doing with Trent Alexander-Arnold, which is a little bit of the, the, the City-style, you know, hybrid, you know, defender moving into midfield and stuff like that. So that's the sort of key difference. Um, the midfield is still more creative, but but as but has retained or gone back to that that real workman like so you've got someone like Dominic Sabozlai for example who will get more assists this season than you know the whole of our midfield combined but he is an athlete and he is a big guy and a big sort of specimen and so he's sort of a blend between you know the old and the new if you like and so. Yeah, I think we're a little bit back to basics. We're a, we're a hard team to play against again. So Jürgen Klopp, even when he was manager at Mainz, who who didn't have much in terms of resources, and he knew he couldn't turn into the to the best team in the country. So what he did instead was to make try and make them the hardest team in the country to play against. And he sort of kept that throughout his time at Dortmund and, and at Liverpool. And then I think went away from it and tried to instead become you know the best footballing side. And then realised sort of that didn't really suit him or, or the players and, and it was really hard to do and so has as, as found that a happy medium where the team's probably more creative but it's still got that, you know, intensity of, you know, if, if, if we do concede the ball that we try and win it back as quickly and as aggressively as possible. So it's a nice balance. Obviously, it's not quite as, as well-oiled and as quite as slick as as the, the team where it was at its best, which was sort of, 18 to 20 but it's getting there and it's showing signs that it is possible yeah and and you look at uh, the summer you had there was a lot of talk around uh, missing out on on kind of first choice targets and you know you don't need to you don't need city fans to uh, explain that sometimes that's not always a bad thing ruben diaz for instance was uh, was city's third choice target as center back and he's been one of the revelations of the of the team um how how are you feeling the squad is at the moment in terms of uh, of depth and its makeup is it is it nicely balanced it is, yeah, it is. The, the the one thing that the squad probably doesn't have is a is an outstanding natural defensive midfielder, and that's an interesting one. That's where we've maybe you know looked to cut our cloth a little bit. It's not quite. I think for all of us, it, you know, we we grow up sort of watching football teams, and and your favourite one, which is normally the one when you would also. You know, your most handsome around sort of seventeen, eighteen, if you like, is and, and when you when your favorite music was from, and when your favorite football team was from, and sort of all of that. You know, for me, the 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 the, the ultimate midfield was was Mascherano, Alonso, and Gerard, and what those did as a three, and how they combined. So we haven't got that type of midfielder yet, and it's taken a little bit of getting used to, and. It's also, we're not quite sure whether that was the intention or whether that's something we've ended up with because you can say, well, maybe Klopp wants to do a different thing with his midfield. But then he did try and buy Casido and he did try and buy the other guy from Southampton whose name escapes me, uh, but he ended up at Chelsea as well. Uh, they basically Lavia. bought, yeah, that's it. They basically all bought all our defensive midfielders uh, that we were after. And so, by and large, we're sort of happy with what we've got. It's funny, isn't it? You'd always, every supporter would, would love one or two more. And, you know, people on the outside think Man City have got the perfect squad and have got two players for every position. And I know from speaking to you that, A, that's not correct. And, and B, you know, the, you guys would always say, oh, you know, if we have one more here or, or if this player gets injured and, and, and things like that. And so, 
yeah, you'd, we'd love another defender. We'd, we'd love a, an out-and-out defensive midfielder who is as good as Rodri, uh, but there's only one of him. So we're relatively happy with sort of what we've got. But you you use the word balance, and, that, and that's an interesting word because although there's a lot of quality there, we're, maybe with the balance we are still seemingly not quite right. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, um, quietly in very good form. Um, defeating the Europa League to Toulouse aside, and again, a rotated team, you know, different situation, that sort of thing. Um, that Luton game stands out in a sea of wins. And I'm not sure that Luton game is particularly representative of, of, of how you are recently, if that makes sense. I think that's the anomaly. Yeah, again, it's a really interesting word you use, anomaly, because... We're having this debate amongst Liverpool supporters at the moment on whether that was a worrying game or whether it was just a freak result because you look at the XG, you look at the chances we created with your eyes and the stats and everything suggests that it was just one of those days that the ball doesn't go in the net and Darwin Nunes very much doesn't get his goal that day. Uh, in fact, he could still be playing in Luton now uh, against <laughs> no one and, and probably blazing them over the bar. And so it was a bad day for him in particular and, and not a great day for, for many of them, to be honest with you. But they still, I think, nine times out of ten with that performance win the game, even though they, they weren't sort of at the best. And so I think it was an anomaly and that's the word you used. There's other people saying we're, not, we're still strangely struggling we 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 put we, we either lost or drew with all the worst teams away from home last year so you name them they beat us um last year which was really frustrating like i said right at the top we're not quite sure how good we are yet and so you've got like the the you know the good angel on one shoulder saying oh this feels like fantastic and, and liverpool might win the league this season or or you know at least you know a cup and, and isn't this greater than you've got the, the 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 kind of the bad angel on the other shoulder saying oh no we're talking to go wrong and we're not quite there and we haven't got this and we haven't got that and and the looting game can feed that voice if you're not careful and, and certainly has for a few but it feels to me like it, it, the word anomaly is right, but we just haven't got enough evidence yet to to put that to bed. If we yeah. can, there's, what's interesting from Liverpool season is after you guys, there's three games in a week that I think we've all got. Um, so we've got Fulham at home, Sheffield United away, and then Palace away. If they can come out of that with three wins, it almost doesn't really matter what happens against City. Because A, we'll be in a good position and B, we'll have proved to ourselves that, you know, we can go to a couple of sides we should be beating away from home and win and, and sort of getting through Fulham as well, which we should do. And so there was plenty in our fan base who were almost more interested in how we get in the, on in those games and those three games in a week than, than at Manchester City, which, you know, you could just get beat because... City are great, and that can happen, and we and we've seen that. You know, we've turned up to Man City and done all right and lost. It's it's interesting you say that as well because um, I mean both Klopp and Guardiola have said this in recent years that uh, the better team doesn't always win this game. It, like it, it could between these two sides, you can play. Sometimes you can be the better team and play really well and lose, and that's just kind of how it is. So maybe maybe this weekend there's not too much to be read into the performance of the two sides. Maybe it's more about getting the result. I don't know. Is that fair? Yeah, I think for us, we're still a little bit scarred by the two seasons where we posted phenomenal points totals and lost the league. So that's between 17 and 19 where we're, you know, 96, 97 points and, and, and lose. And I think 
when you when you try and analyze where you could have got more points from those seasons it's really hard <laughs> because you honestly you look at it i don't even know if you've ever looked at any of those seasons like game by game but it's just win 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 and then you draw one and like and then at the time you remember being really pissed off and then you look at it in isolation going like how how could we have possibly like you know been been annoyed that you draw a game at tottenham but another thing that happened in both the seasons where we got pipped by a point was we didn't beat Man City so I think there's a feeling that if we are to finish above you guys it would be really helpful if we could take some points off you because there's only so many teams who can so I think you know this is a long way win the way of saying that the results you know if we could get a result at City it would feel it would feel really big for, for, for a lot of us in the fan base because it would feel like, well, then if we can be win at Anfield, then, you know, you've got we've got four points from those games and, and you've got one. And, and that those three points might be the difference between being champions and second because that's literally how it has played out. Yeah. Um, looking ahead to this weekend, uh, how do you think Jurgen Klopp will approach it? Because uh, you've talked about the, the team... Uh, having a ha- having a, a bit of a different feel this season and a, and a different style, all things uh, starting to bed in a little bit. Um, the Etihad has not been a happy hunting ground for him lately. He's, uh, he's, he's not won there for a while. So if, if you are going to do it, how how will he do it, do you think? I think he'll try and be brave, I think. And I think we're still... Because it's, it's, it is a new team, we're almost still learning the way that we're playing. So we haven't really got... a. A, a switch in us I don't think yeah I don't think there's a way of oh we're going to go and, and not do what we have been doing we're going to do something else because they're still trying to figure out the thing that they are doing if that makes sense and so they're not evolved enough as a team I don't believe to to switch to another style or to a, to a slightly or to you know to treat it like you know you maybe would in a way European game but but it's in the Premier League if if sort of that makes sense. I don't think we're evolved or mature enough as a side to do that. I was I was gonna ask where where in the team are you concerned about in, in terms of selection and where City might attack? So there's the fullbacks. Um uh, so so Andy Robertson is out. Um Chimikas has been poor this season. He's been a good deputy in my opinion. He divides opinion generally for the for the fans, but I I I think he's been perfectly fine as a deputy, but this year his performances have dropped. I think being an understudy for a long period, even at a top club, is is quite difficult. And I think he's just lost a bit of his kind of spark for it. And so he's been struggling. They might play Joe Gomez there. Uh, there's a chance um, he's not as good going forward. But if you wanted someone a bit more solid, uh, obviously he's got the size benefit as well from sort of set pieces and things like that. They might pick him there, but whoever we pick at left back sort of is an ideal. You'd always rather have Andy Robertson. Trent is much better this year, but really found it tough last year and up against Doc, who, who has been very impressive. I think, you know, there's obvious opportunities there to get joy if he if he's not sort of on it or he's left a bit isolated and things like that. So the so the fullbacks where I think we will be much improved this year from last year is in midfield. We just couldn't keep the ball. Last year you guys were pressing really impressively, just wouldn't let us out and we were losing the ball too cheaply. The likes of Gravenberg, Sabosly, McAllister there were a lot more press resistance and there were a lot so I don't think they'll mind as much if you guys are pressing because 
listen, you know, I might end up looking stupid now and you press us in the in the first few minutes and, and nick the ball because you can do that. But I think we'll, you know, you won't, last year you watch it and you just think, we can't get out here and we can't, and I could see some space that we could exploit, but we can't even get anywhere near there. I think this year they'll, they'll deal with that a lot better. And so we'll be able to move the ball forward and then get it into our forwards. And, and the forwards are all on fire. I mean, that's the real positive about Liverpool this season is that, you went into the season thinking we've got five really good forwards there and they're all playing like that. Yeah, well, uh, as you've alluded to there as well, John, uh, predictions are a mugs game. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, I don't have to do them when we have guests on. So uh, over to you. What, uh, we've got the charity bet. What's your score prediction for that? All, all three results, I feel very, very possible. Um, <laughs> if, you would, if you were to ask me for percentages, I'd probably say 50%. City win, 30% draw, 20% Liverpool is where I sort of feel like it is. So an arrow of defeat feels like the most likely. 2-1 to City. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was John Gibbons from the Anfield Wrap. And as we've been saying, um, John's worried about the fullbacks. Uh, there's, we have this discussion every week, Dokiwa, Grealish, Simon. We went through that earlier on. Uh, gut instincts, who do you think he's going to go with? Uh, I think Doku. Yeah. Adam, are you on the same train? No, I think he'll go with Grealish. Uh, I think Grealish had his two... He seems to have his two best games against Liverpool and United, and I think it's for a similar reason, that they are weak on that right-hand side. I think Grealish will give us control that Pep might want against a team like Liverpool, who would rather have a frenetic game. Uh, And I look at the derby that we won a couple of weeks ago, 3-0. We constantly overloaded United's right-back with Bernardo and Grealish. I think he'll try and do something similar, rather than just exploit space and have Doku take Trent on 1v1. I think he's going to try and double up on that left flank using Bernardo. Uh, yeah, that's just my hunch. But to be honest, I won't yeah. be, be annoyed if... Do- I, to be honest, I want Doku to start just because I like watching <laughs> him play. Yeah. But I think he'll go with Jack. Yeah. Um, Adam's mentioned Bernardo there, Simon. You talked about him at Chelsea. Um, he's He must be an automatic pick because if there's anybody that controls games for City, it's him. Yeah, he, he just seems to have taken on sort of another level. It's like everyone's forgot he's there or forgot he still plays football. He just sort of turns out every game and is the best player on the pitch and then lives a normal life Monday to Monday <laughs> to Friday. His form this season has been unreal. And uh, we barely talk about him these days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, that, that performance against United when he, he just tore them apart and no one expected him to pop up on the left. I don't think he played on the left all season, but he just popped up there and, and played there like he'd been playing in that position for the last seven years. And uh, he's kind of carried on that form. And at, like I said, at Chelsea was sort of head and shoulders, the the calmest player on the, on the pitch. So yeah, I would be um, very, very surprised to see him absent from the team. I think he will have a, Another big, big role to play, coffee cup or no coffee cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adam, the the tactic that we always thought that we talked about earlier with uh, Stone stepping into midfield with Rico Lewis and that sort of stuff. Um, are you expecting to see that again this weekend? Because obviously Stones isn't available and, and won't be available for a while. Um, John was talking about how Liverpool have tried to take that on a little bit with, with Alexander-Arnold. 
And I'm just wondering if when you see City's available options at the back, it maybe feels like Vardiol could be a good option to do it, but he's never done it. And Guardiola was talking about, you know, he's he's never, um, he's not thought about doing that with him yet. Um, Akanji seems to be the one that does it more often than not. But I'm wondering if, if, if the best case for City is if you've not got somebody suited to doing it, just do something else. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I th- I've been going through this in my head. So the thing with a kanji, a kanji can't do that role. It looks like a toddler learning to walk. Like he's just not that. <laughs> like he just really isn't. Like I, I do rate a kanji enough for him to be in the team, but as a centre back first and foremost, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Guardiola. I guess Pep. I, on the eye test, I think Guardiola looks like the best fit to do it, if not John Stones, because he's very, very. He's quite silky on the ball, really, for someone that tall and who's a centre half. Like he's very, but I guess it's it's all about spatial awareness when you're in that position, isn't it? And perhaps he's lacking in that uh, at the moment. So yeah, I mean, Trent Trent is going to be in that position for Liverpool. He will be drifting inside and trying to create a midfield overload, which will leave space. So if we if Pep thinks that there's a way around that where we can perhaps sit with a bank of four and then transition down the left and catch you know catch Trent sleeping, then that might be the way to go. Mm. But I think, yeah, oh, I don't, to be honest, David, I, I know I should, but I don't actually have an answer for you because I don't, <laughs> because I just, I don't, I don't want a Kanji in there, but if it's not going to be him, it's not going to be anyone else, is it? So yeah. it's probably going to be Rodri and uh, Bernardo in that sort of pivot, I would imagine, yeah. with Alvarez sort of at the tip of the diamond. The yeah. other the other option I've been thinking about, Simon, is um, you could get Lewis to do it, but that would mean not playing Kyle Walker. Yeah, and it, it does feel like Pepper slightly moved away from the inverted fullback and towards the inverted centre-back, which is kind of a bit of a, a discussion that is emerging, but um, there seem to be sort of more benefits to an inverted centre-back than an inverted right back and maybe the inverted right back only works so well because John Stones is one of the best players in the world. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of think with the way he's played Lewis, certainly the way he's played Lewis this season, I would be very surprised to see him given a role of right back plus something else. He tends, I mean, I, I think you could include him in the team and have him, as kind of shuttling alongside Rodri that allowed Bernardo to go to go to the left or somewhere else. Um, and I wouldn't be upset to see Lewis in the team. But I, yeah, I kind of think if it's if it's going to be, it's, it's not really, I've, I've said this, yeah, again, what it, it's not an inverting centre-back, is it? It's a sort of, rotating centre-back or something like that. But it tends, I, it I comes think, the middle. I, I, yeah, a rotating centre-back, though, just makes me think of, you know, like when uh, in The Simpsons, when Homer's picturing all the things that can go on the uh, rotisserie. Um, yes. just, like, I've just got John Stones like over yeah. a small fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, a, I don't know, a rook centre-back can only yeah. move forward and back, something like that. Now, rooks can move side to side as well, though, can't they? It's just, yeah. Oh, nightmare. Yeah, I don't know. But, but and then a pawn doesn't move far enough, does it? And occasionally moves diagonal to take. So I, I don't. Know. I mean, when when Martin Keown says on every single commentary that it's like a game of chess, I don't know what he's talking about <laughs> because none of it makes sense. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. 
Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's have a quick word on the Leipzig game before we get some predictions. Um, Adam, how important is this game, given that it comes smack bang in the middle of Liverpool and Spurs? Um, obviously, a point will win the group for City. They could get that point in the final game. But at the same time, it's nice to kind of have that little bit of rhythm in the in a big week. Uh, he's going to rotate um, and Leipzig are no mugs. So I think, I think it's one of them. Like... I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think City have ever got max points from a Champions League group. Oh, Am that's I right? a shout. Am I don't I think they have. I think behind I... closed doors, they got uh, five wins no. and a draw. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, they drew at Porto away, didn't they? So I think... Oh, that was when Fernandinho was going mad with the bench, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I... We always seem to drop points in a game, and I think it could be this one, but it won't be the end of the world. Because I think, we'll, you know, Red Star are a Europa Conference team, let's be honest. Uh, so I think we'll go and pick three points up there, regardless, after the Spurs and Liverpool fixtures. So I think Pep will look at it. Uh, I, th- I think we'll see Lewis start that one, actually, in the yeah. inverted role, like he did in the away uh, leg. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll see a few ch- a bit of chopping and changing. But, yeah, it's one of them. It's, it's not... Rhythm is important, but... So is also squad sharpness at the end of the day, yeah. uh, and you know we we we've got a we will we will get out of that group. So I don't think Pep will be stressing over that game. Put it that way. Yeah, will he will he be wanting to win it for sure, Simon? Because the the balance between winning the group and coming second in the group isn't always um, it, it's not as important as it used to be. I, let's say, but at the same time, with the number of English teams uh, that could win their group, you don't really want to end up in pot two, do you? No, like Guardiola will be obsessed with finishing first, but the the position that they have in the group, they will have to do very, very like spectacularly, unprecedentedly badly not to end up first. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I I could see, I sort of, I have more confidence that they will beat Liverpool than they'll beat Leipzig because I think Leipzig might be a game where they say, you know what, let's settle for a point, box off the group, and crack on with with Tottenham but the the only sort of counter to that is that depending on injuries there might not be the room for much rotation you know if you can't bring yeah. in Nunes and Kovacic and Ake and etc could, could be the game for Oscar Bob mate yeah it could be a that. game for Oscar Bob yeah I mean you know you would think that Red Star Belgrade has got Oscar's name written all over it but maybe he gets Leipzig as well yeah we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, Adam any other younger players that you'd like to see involved or is it just a case of use this, use what options are at uh, Guardiola's fingertips? Uh yeah, there's not to be honest, there's not any that I've seen enough of other than Bob yeah. and Lewis recently like I think there's like a new crop of EDS coming through that uh, are quite novel and new. So yeah, I think I think Oscar Bob will start Leipzig to be honest. Um Rico Lewis I don't know who he made his debut against, but he definitely like there was a similar fixture against Sevilla last season in the group, which Lewis started one of his games and sco- uh, one of his first games and scored in. So I think we'll see something similar with Bob in that sense. 
Yeah, um, that might have been Lewis's first start. Uh, his de- yeah, yeah, his, his debut was definitely against Bournemouth, maybe a couple of weeks earlier, maybe. So yeah, um, yeah, it uh, it could be that could have been his first start. Right, time to get some predictions on the board. Two games, two chances to add some money into the kitty for the charity bet. We've raised four hundred pounds so far this season. With that going to the Man City fans food bank support group, they'll be collecting ahead of the Liverpool match, and it's an early start for them. So go and see them with a donation of non-perishable food if you can. They'll be under the bridge near Asda between ten and midday on Saturday. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles to try and collect some more funds for them as well. We heard earlier on that uh, John has gone for a 2-1 City win this weekend. That is £15 to two and £75 if he's right. Simon, what are you having? I'm having 3-1 to Manchester City. 3-1 City is 11 to one and £110 if you're right. Adam, over to you. 2-2. Two, two. 2-2, 12-1 and £120 if you're right. Uh, that brings us to the Leipzig game where I've mirrored John's score and gone for a 2-1 City win, which is 17-2 and £85. And uh, Simon and Adam, you have both done the boring thing and mirrored yourselves. So uh, you've uh, you've got exactly the same scores as you have for Liverpool. So 3-1 uh, for Simon is 10-1 and £100. 2-2 for Adam is 20-1 and £200 if he's right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change and for more information on responsible gambling head over to begambleaware.org now as we've been talking about the later Champions League group games sometimes provide an opportunity for younger players to make an impact when the group is done and dusted we're not quite there yet but hopefully we'll be soon so let's check in with our EDS expert Sean Blinkhorn to look at how some of the youngsters are progressing I wanted to start with with Micah Hamilton I have mentioned him in the past quite a while ago he's had a rough time since then he had an injury that kept him out basically for a full year he has been bouncing back strong lately to the point where I finally saw him tweeted out by the main account. Mm. I think it was. Um, he's finally training with, like, he was on the, was he on the bench for a Champions League game? Something you, like that. Is this the player that you messaged me about and just said, like, who's this sort of thing? And, like, like pointed back to the time that you mentioned him on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's because, I don't know whether it's because it, there was so long. There was basically about <laughs> two or three years between that gap. And because he was out for so long, it was a really bad injury. It, it, to be honest, I don't, want to, I don't want to jinx him or anything, but it does look like he might have lost a yard of pace due to it, which it must have been a bad one. Maybe that's only you know temporary. I don't know. I don't want to uh, crucify the lad just yet. But that doesn't really matter for his game, if you know mm. what I mean. Um, like I said, he's finally appeared around the first team pitcher now, but his his performances for the younger side since he came back, he's, he's, he's a really good, smart, technical, classy player who, when I spoke about him originally, I was, the, the thing that I was impressed with was how he'd adapted to to playing central midfield um, from being that he was basically a winger when he came through the academy. Uh, and he's moved into that that central role, similar to how Oscar Bob has, uh, who's a who's a year older than Micah, uh, and other players in the past as well. It's kind of it's a good sign for a youngster when they when they you know they it's almost like they master that they can do that wing stuff now get inside and shows a bit of that as well. Um, and Pep seems to really like it in general because it shows the versatility of the of the kid. Uh, like I say, the injury might have. Have, have took a yard of pace off him. I'm not. It's a bit hard to tell, but to be honest, it doesn't matter because he's still involved in play. He still gets the goals, the assists. He still sets. He's got a killer through ball on him. You know that sort of player. Um, so yes, yeah, so he's a bit younger than Bob, but much, Bob, you know Oscar Bob's introduction to the 
the first team picture was quite late on as well. Like, mm. I think I said at the start of the season, he was, you know, he'd only played reserve football up until he was 20, I think. Um, no loans, no other experience. And then suddenly he's in the first team picture. So I'm hoping that he can have a similar late introduction. I think he's 19 going on 20. And there's a couple of Champions League dead rubbers coming up. So I'm hoping he'll get that uh, that experience and you can start to see the... The, the classy little player that I've seen for a few years now. Yeah, might be uh, might be more Oscar Bob for those at this moment though. Would it? Is is that the feeling you get? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he he's he's looked great when he's came on. He's 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 come on and he's had his little appearances, and now it seems to be the natural next step to be thrown into the Carabao games, even though there isn't any this year. But you get you take my point. Yeah. Um, but I am hoping for a, at least a a strong cameo. For Micah, especially with him being around the around the pitch, you know, he's he's a he's an excellent little player, um, and he's come back strong from his injury and shown all the skills that he's got. You know, continue his development. So I'd I'd like to see him in the first team now. Yeah, um, let's talk about uh, some of the first years because um, you've, there's there, there's a few standouts there. Is there? Yeah, I mean, it, I found it a little tough to be honest early on. Um, there's been standouts in terms of players that have stepped up age groups. So the two Matties, Warhurst and Henderson Hall, they've been scoring goals. They've been playing at, at the higher levels, the youth leagues and the, um, the EFL trophy. Um, we've got Keen Noble as well. He's a centre-back. He's been, he's been playing up a bit as well. Um, they've been playing well, but I think more than the first years unfortunately the story has been that there are more under 16s that seem to have been uh, stepped up than there are normally so you may have heard the story the other day that young regan heskey son of um played you, a, know, you know who yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> played a, a uefa youth league game which is an under 19 competition at 15 years old now I stand to be proven wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that is unprecedented. I don't think that's happened before. You know, as far as City comes, anyway, maybe in other in other in other teams. Um, and there's also uh, the young Stefan and Fooney, who again not out of school yet, you know, but as a, a classy left-footed centre back, he immediately drew comparisons to Callum Doyle and Luke and Beatty, who we've mm. had in the past, who. I've still got. A, I'm still holding out a bit of a hope for for Callum at least that you know they could still be involved in the future. But if Stefan can carry on the way he's playing, he's the, the ball. One of them last man situations on the halfway line. The ball's fired at him back, and they've got he's got two players bearing down on him, and he just made it look so easy. Just turned, took the two attackers out the game, and played the ball down down the left for a, an attack. This was only the other day. He's. Um, he looks a classy little player, so I'm hoping we can we can see a bit more of him as he signs his scholarship. Bless him, like I say, he's only 15, 16. Yeah, I know. I know we get you on here to talk about the younger players, Sean, and and the youth teams. But can we have less of the um, like not yet out of school stuff? Because that, like, yeah, that that's really getting to me now. It's like, you know, I'm I, I'm I've I've tipped over into the, into my mid thirties, and it's really getting to me. The most depressing thing was a couple of years ago when the scholars started coming through in the year 
that I left school. That yeah. They were born in the year that I left school. Sorry, that was the worst. And I think I think to be honest, from now I'm I'm, I'm just over it. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. I'm old, and that's that. Yeah. Um, are we going to talk goalkeepers? Because oh, yeah. um, ah, yes, I've I've seen some footage that made my heart go all a flutter. And um, <laughs> well, I I by no means think that I am any sort of goalkeeping expert. But you would not catch me doing any of the stuff yeah. that you that you showed me. Well, let's, Ex- let's explain, let, will you? Let's let's pull. I was going to say let's pull back the curtain a little bit. It was me that sent it to you because I yeah. I, I, I watched a game. Uh, we're talking about young Jack Wint, who is a scholar this year, a goalkeeper. Now you know how City's goalkeepers are supposed to play. You know they're supposed to be positive on the ball. They're supposed to um, start attacks. Essentially, you know they've got to be good with the feet. It's an old cliche now. Now, Jack. Jack is. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's, the, he, the, the stuff you were sending me would make Edison go, oh, steady on. <laughs> I know, yeah. Calm down, mate. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, I, I sent the footage to my friends as well, and they, I, there was a very mixed response. I found it hilarious and mm. a, lot of, a lot of fun. I'm not sure if the pressure was on in, an actual, you know, in a senior City game, I'd feel the same, but let's ignore that for now. Yeah. Basically, so what, what was he doing? What was he doing? He, he plays in the opposition half, essentially. He, um, he regularly, he doesn't, you know... <sighs> He doesn't so much start attacks as he begins them. Like it, he, <laughs> the fo- basically, the video I sent you was him receiving the ball on his goal line and turning and facing the centre circle and running towards it with the ball, wasn't it? And then yeah. when he gets, he gets towards there and you can hear the coaches, go on, Wincy, come on, Wincy. So they're actively encouraging it. And then he'll play a nice little ball into midfield. There was a point, the other, the other image I sent was him basically advancing into... Um, into the opposition half in the right uh, centre back position, over into the you know beyond the centre circle to receive the ball for a pass and play it on. It was absolutely incredible. I, was, I couldn't believe what I was watching. He breaks the lines and pr- and plays risky passes, much like Everton, uh, Ever- Everton, Edison, but does it from the halfway line, which is unreal, pure entertainment. If you can, I don't know how far this is going to go. I don't know whether he's going to get to to the uh, to the heights of uh, you know of being able to play for City, but if you see his name in a team sheet for the under 18s on City Plus, you need to watch it. It's great. <laughs> um, like I say, I've, I've had mixed results. I mean, it, you know, it, it, the the shelf life on this sort of thing is a bit varied. Like Edison's hundred meter drilled through ball thing he only does that every now and again doesn't he so uh, you know that sort of um goalkeeper with a bit of a a bit of a party trick is it's tough to see him using it constantly but at the minute he's using it a lot he's advancing into the half he's receiving the pass he's you know he's basically playing as as, as a, a creative an, midfielder another, isn't he another yeah, yeah a creative center back if you if you like which you know positionally and tactically you then think well where is the player that was stood there gone and that you know does that create the overloads and create the you know and then and then your mind races to all the the possibilities that Pep could um, that could utilize with a player like that so it's a great watch um he's probably the standout for me from the first years so far just on entertainment value alone and I'd highly recommend watching him if you can if you get the chance Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. 
That was Sean Blinkhorn talking to us there about the EDS players. Uh, we're going to finish with, uh, well, normally listener questions, but this one's from me this week. Uh, so uh, get in touch with, for future episodes with questions at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. You can email through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, but as I say, I'm hijacking the format this week to say, um, I've been asked a couple of times now to if I give an interview on the Everton punishment and how that affects City. I've turned the interviews down. Um, but then again, when I did the, the Anfield Raps preview of this weekend's game and John did it for ours um i was asked about it again and uh, a sponsor video i did asked about it in there um and i'm starting to wonder if i'm going a bit mad about this because simon like whatever happens to everton doesn't affect anything that's going on between the premier league and city does it no i, I sort of in a similar position to you where I, I just feel like i've been beating my head against a wall um all week with all this all this going on um, I mean, I do that most weeks, but this week, <laughs> not, not, not even for leisure this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it, it's very difficult, and it, it's one of. To be honest, I have some sympathy because it was really kind of um, City being done by UEFA and cast that really kind of opened up my head to like, oh Christ, you really need to get a handle of all this stuff, um, and so anyone from a city persuasion who's kind of understood that is probably a lot better on off to understand these premier league things but it, mm. it's so opaque there's we know nothing about the case so I, i've just found all this sort of speculation and um you know thing i mean all this stuff about you know city could be expelled from the league or relegated or whatever is all true but it was it is as true after the everton thing as it was before it um and yeah. then anything I, I remember else, like- i remember doing interviews i did i we interviewed a sports lawyer on the podcast the week the charges were announced and yeah. that, that was all mentioned in that interview yeah 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 and so for people to be coming out now saying well if if everton have had this then then city should de-, and you're like no do, you don't need everton to say that like if they've cooked their books for a decade it's one of the biggest sort of scandal sporting scandals we've ever known and they sh- should absolutely have the strictest punishment but at the same time and something else that has kind of been lost this week is like nobody has any evidence that they've shown to to say that that is true or that Mm. or that it will happen so you know i i sort of question whether you know readers in nottingham forest fans and aston villa fans and the like um want to be sort of reading things about, you know, what local writers think about what potential punishments Manchester City could get if they are found guilty in a case that nobody knows anything about. It's that kind of... There's like, a lot of hypotheticals there, isn't there? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you just kind of, um, it, yeah, it depresses you slightly. Yeah. Adam, from a, a fan's point of view, um, given everything that's gone on this week, um, uh, how do you feel about it all? Are you are, are you in this position of just kind of wait and see what happens? Or are you getting a bit tired to hear everyone constantly asking, you know, about it or constantly talking about, well, you know, 115 charges? Like, lads, lads, we know. Like, it's it's ongoing. We know about it. I think I think that whole thing just is the same as, like, are you an adult or not? Because it's just sensationalized <laughs> football Twitter nonsense. Like the thing is, yeah, as a fan, all I can do is sit here and wait. Uh, if I'd have got better A-levels, maybe I'd have a law degree and then then it'd be a different conversation. <laughs> but I don't. I'm just, you know, sat here in a chair. I'm 24 from Stockport. I don't know what's going on. But what I do know is that there's no correlation between 
the Everton case and this City case. I think that it's been, I think it's been widely sensationalised what's happening with City because fans of other clubs want it to happen to us because they're jealous of us uh, and because they think it'd be funny. So it's effectively, they're, they're only saying it so much because they are preying on our downfall. Mm. That's, well, just, that's just, the be-all and end-all. Just kind of tapping into that, do you feel that whatever the outcome now, like this will always be there? It'll, like like even if the panel turns yeah. around and goes, you know what, there's absolutely, there's no evidence that City have done any of any wrongdoing here. It doesn't matter. Like you, you will still get charged with. Well, yeah, but we we all know really what city are like. Even yeah, though, even though it's it's not, never been proven. This has been happening for years. This is happening when Gary Cook was at the club, and people saying, "Oh, anything City win has to have an asterisk next to it because of the amount we've spent and whatnot." It's been here lingering over our heads since Caldoun and Sheikh Mansour came to the club. So it's nothing new, really. Um, it's just that social media exists now, and the discourse is more visible on a daily basis. Um, so. It's like water off a duck's back to me, really. Like we, we are the pantomime villains of the Premier League now because of how successful we are. And oh if no, Stro- we're not. <laughs> um, Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, like it's you know, it is what it is. It, it won't. Yeah, if we are, I, I presume exonerated is the right word to use. If we are cleared of charges in a couple of years' time. It will, yeah, it will continue in discussion. People won't want us to be credited for the trophies that we win. Um, I had one final point, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah, that was it. The, um, the, I think the reason it's, it's taking so long as well is because the burden of proof is so heavily on the Premier League that they're clearly taking the time to try and meticulously get whatever it is they're charging us for right, um, which would say to me that... They're not even sure themselves, you know. So maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but, you know, I'm pretty relaxed about it. And I think, you know, there was massive discussion about this around February time when the story broke. Um, and then it sort of dipped away for a bit. And now it's come back to light because of the Everton stuff. It's just going to be like a bit of a, a roller coaster where, you know, four or five months time, if we win a few more trophies, you'll probably ask the same question again to two other people. And then it'll go away for a bit and then it'll come back until until the fateful day where we either are charged or not. It's just one of those things. Yeah. Um, Simon, from a media point of view, can you understand why it's back in the discourse after the Everton announcement? Is it no. just one of those things? No. Or, no? no? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I can. I think the frustrating thing from my point of view is that I would like to have all the questions that were raised when it broke in February, I would like to have think would have been sort of answered and taken on by now, you know, like, well, why don't city just show their evidence if they've got it? Um, you know, it, it takes like an, an ounce of knowledge of the law. You probably need to read one page of law 101 to understand why that hasn't happened. But yeah, that is sort of like touted around, as if, you know, it, it proves City's guilt. Mm. And, you know, I mean, the, the other response is like, well, it's to do with City's accounts and all the accounts they've published. So you just say like, here you are, dickheads, here's the books. Um, so <laughs> it, it's just, it, it is all, it, it's tiresome to see the same sort of questions that have been valid at some point, but then kind of debunked or answered, just like raised again as part of the, the big narrative um and also you know because it's the big topic of the week every man and his dog is being asked about it and you then see sort of like a thousand stories based on like what john aldridge thinks about ffp and is that really serving anyone you know is he been behind the scenes on the case with the lawyers knowing what 
what what's going on. Probably I, I just, to be fair, actually, knowing knowing what <laughs> knowing what he's been like in the last few years. I, I just think like it it is mad how little is known about the case. But given that there is so little known about the case, it's mad that there is so much reporting yeah. on it and so much chat around it. Yeah. I think it's an interesting insight into like the human psyche because like if football is so tribalistic by nature and certain journalists in the game are very agenda driven in themselves that a glib truth about people is that if they're set in stone about something that they think is true even if you present them with facts and data you can't change their mind so you know no matter how much comes up in this story that is is in city's favor or just the mere fact that you know the evidence hasn't been presented yet doesn't even necessarily exist in the public eye people are still beating us with this stick it's because they already have a predisposed feeling towards city as a as a football club yeah yeah and, and it's amazing that like i've just pulled up the um the cast verdict like the cast media release the first sentence in big capital letters said manchester city did not disguise equity funding as sponsorship contributions but did fail to cooperate with the uefa authorities like the number of people who still either claim that city did disguise equity funding or claim that the fine that they got for fail to cooperate was part of equity or was proof of them not being you know entirely innocent it is just mind-blowing it's like it's there in huge letters like yeah. just just read it and take it in i you know i don't have a i don't have anything to go on by this but i can imagine that um say for instance the premier league are unable to prove the most serious charges but are able to show that city failed to cooperate because they you know there's one of the rulings did say that city weren't weren't cooperating uh to the full extent so the worst case scenario is a repeat of of that basically where city get off the really really serious charges that have done untold damage to their reputation but get done for not, you know, giving the Premier League as much as the Premier League wanted on what could turn out to be like a five-year fishing expedition. Yeah, and then everyone says, "Right, well, they're guilty," and you're like, oh, back, here we back, go again. Back, back to square one. If, if that happens, we'll crowdfund some massive letters to stick around Manchester, and like, we'll, we'll we'll make it visible from space. The verdict just we'll on, crowdfund uh, a yeah. new wall for my house because I'll put my head through it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to keep. I, I mean, you may need many, many more walls before then, given how long this uh, the, the, this uh, case is due to go on for. Um, we'll catch up on this again in future when hopefully we've got. Uh, in fact, hopefully we'll catch up on it when we've got a verdict, and then we can just talk about that rather than everything else that comes with it. Uh, but for now, that is the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for this one, Adam Monk. You're welcome, and Simon Bakowski. Thank you very much. Stay tuned for a clip of this week's Patreon show as Andy McNabb is picking out his five games that made him as a fan. I'll be back next week to preview the annual defeat to Spurs. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. One of my mates used to work the Daily Express newspaper building and Tony Henry used to love having the photographs that were taken at Main Road on the Saturday. So my mate Pete used to get these photographs that weren't being used from the press, uh, from the photography department in the press. 
and then he'd take them to, to Platt Lane on the Monday in his lunch hour and Tony Henry would give him two tickets for the next away game and me and him would go and then the one with this one is the fact that he said to my mate he said oh he said I'll, I'll make sure the tickets are at the ticket office at at Anfield when you go so right okay so I, I finished work met my mate in Manchester went on the train and uh, we get to the ticket office and Tony Henry's only left one ticket so I just dived in through the nearest turnstile and I can't remember what part of the ground I was in but obviously it was full of Liverpool fans it was like an adrenaline rush and knowing that you can't own your mouth and knowing that you can't you know if we get close I've just got to shrug my shoulders but the, the whole thing of the whole event of going on a Tuesday night to Anfield when you're 16, 17 with your mate and it all going a bit wrong it was just an experience of football really that not everybody gets You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode.